Bibles, we're going to go over to Isaiah 14. And what I want to do is um, just pick back up where we left off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we had done this little side excursion after we had covered uh, chapter 10. And if you remember in chapter 10 of the book of Daniel, we were given kind of a, a glimpse behind the scenes, if you will. Uh, we were able to see this incredible encounter that Daniel has with this angel. He's been fasting and praying for some time. And the Bible says that this angel shows up and he's uh, been delayed because of this encounter that he's had with this other angel, this other heavenly being. And he says his name is the Prince of Persia. We call him the Prince of the Power of the Air behind Persia. And if you keep reading the text, you realize that, that the whole purpose of why this angel has come is because he wants to give a message to Daniel. The content of that message, in which we'll get into today, is chapters 11 and 12. What is the content of the message? The content of the message is basically telling Daniel even further information, even more revelation about some of the things that he's already had revelation about, specifically Daniel chapter 9, which would have been two years earlier than this event right here. Just let, Alan, just let you know, there's a lot of echo. I don't know if you can hear it or not in the background. It's this one? Is it this one? Let me see. It's red. Okay, I'll just set it over here. Maybe that'll help a little bit. Um, so anyway, um, so he, what, is he, what is he trying to give him more information about? Well, remember Daniel chapter 9, he gave him all kinds of information about the first and second coming of Christ. Um, he's had all kinds of questions, I'm sure, that's come from that. But even further back than that, in Daniel's chap Daniel chapter 7 and 8, uh, he gave him lots of information about things that were coming. And if you remember, two or three times, even in that very chapter, in chapter 8, Daniel was like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. These things perplex me. He said, they, they bothered me for days. He said, there would be days on end where I would be sick at my stomach, and I just wouldn't know what to do. So that's the kind of person Daniel is. He's pressing in. We use that modern terminology, right? Pressing in with God. He's pressing in with God. And he's been doing that for years. And so at the very end of the book of Daniel, we get to this point, and we see this glimpse behind the scenes, and we are made aware of some spiritual realities that we may not have ever really thought of before, like for the fact um, that behind powers, behind nations, behind kings and queens, and behind political systems, there are, and I believe that there still are, um, divine entities, whether good or bad, that... Um, based upon what they do, have a uh, bearing on what happens here on the earth. So what I want to do is I want to pick back up. We were going to take a side excursion. We looked at Ezekiel, at this passage in Ezekiel last time. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 14. And I want to give you just another example of this because, again, when we get into the meat of chapter 11, you're going to see this concept again. I want to explain this concept one more time. In prophetic literature... A lot of times you will address a subject and that subject may be very similar in type to something else that's a bigger example. Does that make sense? And so as you're making, it a, making a point with this person or this place or this thing or this event, sometimes in prophetic literature the language can begin to trail off beyond the subject at hand and begin to describe the greater reality. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example. We talked about the passage in Ezekiel two weeks ago. 
in the passage in Ezekiel, what is the writer talking about? He's addressing the king of Tyre, right? And what was the main issue with the king of Tyre? Anybody remember? Pride. He was very boastful, very prideful. Well, guess what? Who had the original problem with pride? Original, the first original problem with pride. Satan did, right? So you remember when we kept reading that passage, once you get to a certain point, the language begins to trail off a little bit and you realize, oh my goodness, we're not talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Now he's talking about this divine being that used to walk in the Garden of Eden who, whose covering was light, like the refraction of light and, and who deceived the nations. Now we realize we're not just talking about the king of Tyre anymore. Now we're talking about who? We're talking about the power behind the king of Tyre. We're talking about Satan himself. Now, we're going to use another example. This is going to be another example of Satan in the book of Isaiah chapter 14. Let's read it together. Um, and I think, uh, let's see, did I get myself mixed up here? I'm sorry, guys. My brain has not been in a... It started at verse 12. Yeah, verse 12. Thank you. Let's start reading at verse 12. How have you fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now remember, the stars of God. Anytime you read that phrase, stars of God, or the morning stars, in the Old Testament, it's referring to angels, referring to the heavenly hosts. They're often referred to as the stars of heaven. It says, I will ascend into the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. What does that mean? What does he want? He wants to be even above the angels, preeminent. He wants the very throne of God himself. So we're not talking about, we're not talking about necessarily the earthly person here at this point, right? We're talking about the power behind that earthly person. Keep reading with me. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself, listen to this, I will make myself like the most high. Wow. Why does he go after God's people so much? You know why? Because he hates you. <laughs> Simply put, Satan does not like you one bit. Why? Because your destiny, your destiny is to be above the angels one day. Do you realize that? That was always supposed to be your destiny. As an earthly representative, you are to be above the angels one day. Paul says the reason why you guys, you and me together as Christians, should never take each other to court and sue each other is because that's earthly. We know better than that. We sit as kings and queens with heavenly mindsets. We're supposed to. We're supposed to be able to handle these squabbles. Why? Because one day you will sit on a judge's seat and you will render judgments out against the angels back and forth for what they've done. That's going to be your job. You feel like you're qualified for that job? You need to be. It, yeah, that's right. It's a different pay grade, right? Okay, so that's why he doesn't like his creation, because that's where he wants to be. In fact, he doesn't feel like there's any room for God. He doesn't want God to be in the picture. He wants to be on God's throne. Look how many times in just these few verses do you see the words, I will. What does that reveal to you? I will. I will do this. I will do this. Pride. Pride. Verse 15. Here's his destiny, though. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? 
the man who made the world a wilderness, who overthrew its cities and would not let his captives go home? And I'm not going to go into all the details of the, of the verses here, but, but uh, the, the fall of Satan, if you want to go into more detail on that, Revelation chapter 12, symbolically speaking, describes the fall of Satan. Jesus said when he was on the earth, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Revelation chapter 12 describes that event in prophetic form. So in case you want to go and see that a little bit. Now, real quick, I need to make a quick distinction. Um, there's a couple things I'm trying to remember over the course of the last few weeks that we've talked about angels. Uh, I do want to mention this. There is kind of a misnomer. I don't know where it comes from. It's just kind of common belief that when a person dies, when a human dies, they become angels. Have you ever heard this? Like sometimes you'll go to a funeral and somebody will pass away and they'll say, well, you know, I'm so thankful mama got her wings, you know. And, and that's a, a, a beautiful sentiment, but it's not truth. It's not really based in any type of biblical reality. Um, the reality is, is that you are a, a type of being and angels are a type of being, right? Guess what? Demons are also a type of being. This is another misnomer that a lot of times people bring to the text because people don't understand that there's a difference between angels and demons. Here's the main difference. Angels have bodies. Demons always are looking for one. <laughs> Does that make sense? Angels have bodies, right? In the Old Testament, think of sometimes angels materialize and have bodies. Can you think of one example? Just one. Burning bush, okay? Great example, that's God speaking from the bush. So in a sense, he took the form of a burning bush, right? But can you think of an example where an angel took the form of a human body? Now, see, now we got several examples that's right out there, right? Gideon over here. Who, who else had one over here? Abraham. Abraham entertained three guests unaware, one of which was God himself who took the form of a human being. The other two were angels, right? And then, of course, they were on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah to go check the place out to make sure that, uh, that they were ready and worthy for judgment. And so the two angels go off. He speaks to that last one, which turns out to be God. And I love the, the, I love the phraseology there. It's kind of a Jewish haggling back and forth. Well, what if there's 50? What if there's 45? I can hear this Jewish accent in the background, you know, when, when I, the whole thing's going down. But anyway, my point is, I had a point and it ran away like a little rabbit. You ever do that? Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Angels have bodies. Demons don't. Think about the demons that you think about in the Bible, read about in the Bible. They're always possessing someone, right? Think about some of the examples that we have in the Bible. Remember the, the guy, the demoniac, had legion inside of him, whatever, however many that is. And then when he, they said, cast us out, they said, don't send us where? Are you here before the time you're going to send us where? To the pit. They said, don't do that. Send us where? Here's some pigs. Send us over here, <laughs> Right? So you say, well, what in the world is the difference between an angel and a demon? Well, I can tell you what the traditional Hebraic understanding of this is. I grew up in a church where this was considered cock and ante, but I tend to believe it because it's what ancient history teaches. That in Genesis chapter 6, when you have the angels that fell, right? And it says that they saw women, they took them. I think what happened was is that they saw women and they took them, <laughs> right? And they had offspring, and in the ancient days before the flood, this offspring was known as the Nephilim. The word Nephilim means to fall. It's the fallen ones. These are fallen beings. And, and, and there's stories all over the world about these beings. The Greeks called them the demigods. You know, the Romans called them the, 
uh, I can't remember what the Romans called them, the Titans, I think it was. And, and then every culture on the face of the planet has these stories about half human, half gods. Well, guess what? They all got wiped out in the flood. Most of them did. There's some stories about some happened later on, King David and Goliath and that whole thing. But those spirits, where'd they go? Well, the Bible doesn't tell you. The Bible just assumes throughout the Old Testament, all of a sudden you start seeing evil spirits pop up. You're like, where'd they come from, right? But in other Jewish ancient literature, like the book of Enoch, like the book of Jasher, some of these other books that we don't have, they're not in the Bible, that, are not, that we don't consider inspired books, they tell you the story. They said these beings roam the earth as demons. They're dark, shadowy type beings. They attach themselves to people. And guess what, Rick? We've seen a few over the years, haven't we? They do. They have personality. And a lot of times they have very negative personalities. They're full of rage and lust and anger and wrath. And, and when they attach themselves to a person, guess what that person begins to manifest? Age and anger and wrath and lust and all these types of things. And sometimes you have to get rid of those things, right? I call them spiritual leeches. They're just like spiritual leeches. You got to get them off if they're on you. Okay, simple as that. Okay, now consider with me for a moment. Daniel has been fasting for how long? Anybody? 21 days. Some of us need to fast about that long after the Christmas holidays, right? He's been fasting for 21 days. And in order to, to aid somehow, you get this idea that he's aiding somehow this angel. And Daniel chapter 10, as he's struggling in the spirit against the prince of Persia. Suppose Daniel had stopped fasting on day 20. I've always wondered that. Have I asked this before in here? Suppose he stopped fasting on day 20. Would he have had the same success? You say maybe not. Anybody want to venture to guess? I don't know. Okay. You maybe it phrases the question maybe a little too far on one side, not the other. I get what you're saying. I don't know. I, I've wondered, is there something about 21 days? I don't, I don't think so, but... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, dipping the... Where he was told to dip seven times. Yes. Yeah. And he was still messed up on the sixth time. Yeah. Uh, but on this, in this instance, I don't think he was told to fast for three weeks. I think he was just doing it. I think he was voluntarily doing it. Yeah. And so, so it was more or less his call. But the blessing may not have been as much on the 20th. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. You know, I, I'm the wrong guy to ask because I was the OCD, like really legalistic church guy that, you know, would watch people be baptized and if their ear didn't go underwater, I'm like, oh, we, we need to do this again. You know, I, I was that guy. So anyway, I don't know. I'm just curious. I, I just think it's interesting. Now, I did ask this question before. Uh, there was a prince behind the power of Persia. Do you think there's a prince behind the power of the United States? Look, everybody said yes on that one. Do you think there's a prince behind the power of the European Union? 
or the World Economic Forum or whatever. I, I think so too. I think we're still dealing with this stuff. Now, here's the question I have though. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big time outsider in the world of, um, in the world of deliverance ministry. Um, Steve Hemphill is, is probably the closest thing we have in the Churches of Christ to a, a real deliverance minister that I know of. And my experience is way limited to, to compared to his. Um, but I think that there is a unhealthiness that exists in the world of deliverance ministry. Sometimes I think that uh, people can focus too little on the fact that demons are real. Um, they live their lives as if there is no such thing as a demon and they don't have to ever worry about that. On the other hand, there's also a very big unhealthiness on focusing on that kind of stuff too much. And that's the, the, the error that I see a lot of times, especially among my charismatic friends, is, is too much of an emphasis on these things. Now, for example, when it comes to territorial spirits, right, what we call principalities, like the prince behind the power of Persia, or let's just conjecture and say the prince behind the power of the United States of America. What's my job in relationship to that deity or that being? I don't say deity. When I say deity, you know what I mean, like an angelic deity, angelic being. What's, what's my relationship to that being? Do I have any responsibility whatsoever to engage the power behind the United States of America? You say no. What about anybody else? Pray for the leaders and the powers of the world. I can't think of a single example in the Bible that says I need to go make war against the prince of the power behind America. <laughs> I do see examples where I need to pray for my leaders, right? I do see examples where I need to pray for my nation. I see tons of examples where I need to take responsibility for my own sins and, and, my, and the sins of my people and repent for the United States of America. I see that all through the, all through the, the Bible. But I don't see any example nowhere. And I, I don't know where some people have this idea that we need to band together as Christians and somehow go try to defeat or move the, the prince of the power of Persia or the prince of power of, of the United States of America. I don't have that authority. You, you guys understand this. You remember when Moses died? Not that any of you were there, but you know what I'm saying. You remember when he died and he's on Mount Nebo. And remember who buries Moses? Huh? Angels bury Moses. God buries Moses, right? The Bible says that he buries him, right? And then it's interesting because you have this, this strange little story about Moses' body being buried. You don't hear nothing else about his body for thousands of years. Literally 1,500 years goes by until finally one verse in the book of, I think it's what, Titus? No, Jude, thank you. Jude mentions the body of Moses again. Do you remember that weird little story? Nobody? It's... it's yeah, but Satan. Okay, but Satan was wanting his body. What's that about? I have no idea. That's some weird stuff right there. Yeah. Having the crown of 
Get a prayer cloth anointed with yeah, Moses oil or something. It's true. It's very true. Good point. Somebody else had a thought. You can get into all kinds of conjecture on that one. I mean, he, you know, just the fact that he wanted his body is creepy enough for me, and I don't even have to fill in the blanks. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm 100% positive Satan could have come up with some crazy thing with his body. Thankfully, he didn't have it. Now, the point I wanted to make in the story is that the angel that shows up and fights over the body of Moses, I believe, is Gabriel again, is it not? Was it Michael? Okay, Michael. Michael's the archangel. He's the big dog on the, on the, the block, right? But the Bible says that not even Michael, and this is the part I wanted to make, the point I wanted to make. It took a long time to get there, didn't it? We came around the circle, went around the bend, took a left, and came back. The point I want to make there is that even Michael the archangel said he would not bring a railing accusation against, against Satan because there's still power and rank. There's still power and rank. Even amongst the dark, the dark beings, there's still power and rank. So he says the only thing he can do, the Lord do what? The Lord rebuke you. And I think that's supposed to be our stance as well, right? We, we, we realize who we are and where we are. And our greatest authority is not being boastful and trying to challenge the powers and authorities. Our greatest power is to be on our knees and to say the Lord rebuke you. The Lord deal with this. Yes, sir. Right. They were serving God and that thing deal they, they understood, and this is a, a big problem that I think we as, as Christians re, we struggle with today. They had a very strong sense of God's sovereignty. Like Satan is, you understand, Satan's not in control of anything. Nothing. He is a dog on a leash. Now, some people say his leash is a bit long. And it's longer than I prefer it to be. But you're right. I mean, we, we live in this world. We, we live in the rise of nations, the fall of nations. You've heard me sometimes talk about the fall of America. I think we're experiencing the fall of America right as we speak. It's happening all around you. All we have to do is open our eyes. Am I afraid? No. Not a bit afraid. You know why? Because God still sits on the throne. He still sits on the throne. And if our calling is to be in a, in a rich, opulent America where everything is going great, then guess what? We better serve the Lord. But if our calling is to serve an America in the midst of its decline and fall or possible invasion from other powers, well, guess what? Your job didn't change a bit, did it?
it is his work. You know, the other day I was reading um, the passage from uh, uh, where the Israelites went and they took uh, Jericho. And you remember the story there, circle once a day, and then on the seventh day, circle seven times, blow the horns, and the walls come tumbling down. Well, they put what was called a ban on Jericho. Couldn't take nothing, right? The whole thing was given to the Lord. And they decided to, to do the same for, for Ai up north, a few miles up north. And there was one guy that coveted some gold and silver and some stuff that he found, and he decided that out of the, what, 200,000, or I can't remember how many, several thousand men they sent up there, to, to fight the place, he decided to take a little for himself. Well, what happened in the battle? They got defeated. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. And I love, I love how they found out. They, they basically just let the Lord find out. They did it, you know, tribe by tribe, and then leadership by leadership, and then family by family, and then the guy, the guy, the one guy who actually caused the, the sin. So, yeah, Aiken. What's that? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so in the book of Jude, they're arguing over the body of Moses. He wants the body. Satan wants the body of Moses. And Michael is not giving in. He's not going to tell him where the body is, I'm guessing. But he says, the Lord rebuke you. And it says that even Michael, the archangel, was not going to bring a railing accusation against Satan because that's not his power. That's not his rank. And, and the point that I was just trying to make there is that our job is not to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these principalities or try to act like we can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these principalities. Our job is to surrender to the Lord the same way Michael the archangel did. And, um, and James, I'm not even sure what the point of my other story was. I'm, I'm telling you, my mind is not back. It's still cloudy, guys. Please forgive me. It is still cloudy. Um, but the point of going up against AI is they, they thought, oh, it's, it's our job. It's something we're doing. It's our fight. But it wasn't. It had everything to do with what God was doing with their own hearts, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, just waiting. Houses, you don't have to build. Wells, you don't have to dig. Everything's going to be provided. But first, honor me. So. And everything under the ban was supposed to be for the temple, for the building of the tabernacle and for the services. Yeah, very good. Okay, before we uh, wrap this up, go to Ephesians chapter 6. I think this would be a good place for us to end up. And then uh, next Sunday... We'll get into chapter 11. We'll do chapter 11, and then the following Sunday, we'll do chapter 12, and then we will be done with the book of Daniel, believe it or not. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. Here's the bottom line, guys. We are, um, we are beings that happen to find ourselves behind enemy lines in the midst of a cosmic war that has been going on for thousands of years, Actors that have been living for thousands of years have been already in many battles with this war. You and I are part of a kingdom that has been around since uh, at least the last 2,000 years, but God's people have been around for thousands of years before that. And you and I find ourselves in the midst of a long line of God's people who have been called to be holy and righteous, to be servants of the Most High God in the midst of the time in which you find yourselves right now. And the result of this cosmic battle between good and evil will determine your destiny and my destiny forever. And so it's very important for us to remember where we are in the midst of this cosmic destiny. 
and where we are in the midst of this battle and what our role is in the midst of this battle. And Ephesians chapter 6, I think, is, is one of the clearest places. I want you to read this with me. Finally, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. First of all, how do we be strong spiritually? How do we be strong spiritually? What's that? How, do, how are we to stay strong spiritually? It says it right there in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord. There you go. Thank you, Slow. In the Lord. So that tells you that you're not going to find any strength for this particular battle in anything inside of you, right? Not at all. Not one whit. Keep reading. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Second point, the devil is always scheming against you. He looks for the weak places in your armor. He looks for the weak spots, and he's going to exploit those every chance that he gets. If you want an example, just look at the life of Jesus Christ. He fasted for 40 days. He waited till day 40 to do his temptations. Not day 39, not day 38. He looked for an opportune time. But you have an out. You can take on the full armor of God. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Principal, principalities, uh, powers. By the way, this is, this is the hierarchy that he's talking about of these spiritual um, forces. I think that he's listing them here in descending order. Satan, of course, would be at the top. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this age, if you will. He's the, the false god who sits on top of this hierarchy. Then there's principalities. We typically think of those as the prince behind the power of Persia, right? The principalities behind these powers. There's powers. Those are fallen angels, I think. And perhaps maybe demons. When it talks about spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, I think that's probably talking about uh, eporanios, which is the, the smaller powers, the smallest spiritual powers. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. God's will for you is not to be mowed down by every, you know, every temptation that comes your way. God's will for you is not to give in. Every single time your flesh jumps up and says, give me attention, <laughs> right? God's will is not for you to fall flat on your face when the next tragedy comes in your life or when the next calamity comes in your life. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, stand. Third time he says it, verse 14, stand firm then. And then he's going to give you some of the armor. You've heard this a million times. I know. But I want you to try to think about it with fresh ears again one more time. The belt of truth. What is the belt of truth around your waist? The belt of truth is what? God's word is truth. How do you know the truth unless you spend time in it? The very thing that girds up your whole life has to be the Word of God. If you don't have daily time in the Word of God, you're not girding yourself with truth. I call it, you, you're being caught with your pants down, <laughs> right? You've got to have the belt of truth on to keep the pants up, all right? Keep on going. The breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Whose righteousness do you wear? His righteousness, not yours. You can take a glance at yours every now and then just to remind yourself that it's not nothing like his, <laughs> Right? So you wear his righteousness, not yours. Every time your, your uh, conscience tries to tell you otherwise, remind your conscience of, of which righteousness you wear. It's not yours. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is that? Be ready to work. Be ready to work. 
Idle hands bring what? Grandma used to say. The devil's workshop. And it might sound like an old cliche, but how many in this room have lived long enough to know that that's truth? When we don't have nothing to do, spiritually speaking, we're sitting around bored, spiritually speaking. You know what we first thing we tend to do? We slide back into sins. Come on now. We slide back into sins. And then we start picking each other apart, right? Because it's much easier to point out the flaws in somebody else than it is to think about the ones I've got going on in here. Okay? So we don't do that. We put, on, um, we put on our feet shod with the gospel. We're ready to work, right? Be ready to work. Keep reading with me. Uh, this is too fun to stop now. Let's just get just another couple of minutes here. Uh, verse 16. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the, of the evil one. What's the shield of faith? Good. Now, here's something that's important. When you had a shield in Roman times and you were in a battle, and of course, what's a shield for? It's a defensive weapon against arrows that are coming in. Well, after an, a shield has taken a few arrows, it's got a bunch of holes in it, what do you do between battles? You don't wait until the next battle before you start fixing the holes in the shield. So where are you right now? What holes do you have in your shield right now that need to be fixed? You don't think there's another battle coming, James? You know there's another battle coming. So since you know there's another battle coming, get ready for that battle and make sure your faith is strong. I think is the idea. And then lastly, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And most everyone stops before you get to verse 18. There's actually a seventh piece of armor. It is our offensive weapon. And it is akin to dropping napalm, baby. You want to read it? Here it is. Verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer. Prayer which takes us all the way back to Daniel in chapter 10. What is Daniel doing to get all this revelation? He's praying. So let's keep on the armor of God, people. All right, we're going to stop there. We'll uh, start our worship service in here in just a moment. God bless you. Love you.